Welcome to Pace and Practice, an Eden Project podcast focused on Christian spiritual formation, in which we desire to help people become people of love who walk at the pace of love. We are back this week on the Pace and Practice podcast with our friend Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. Heck yeah. We're excited to continue our conversation. I'm um, just talking about this time, really the the rhythms of of work and rest, which mm. is the title of uh, uh, is it your most recent book? I think it was released yes. maybe mm-hmm. last yeah. year, maybe. Yes. Um, yep. Almost so, exactly in October of last year. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Hey, mm-hmm. happy anniversary. Happy Thank you. Book Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but she's a she's an author of multiple books, including Sacred Rhythms, which is widely read. Um, Strengthen the soul of your leadership. So I definitely encourage you to check those resources out. Um, we'll also be have them in the podcast notes. But uh, but Chuck has been uh, hey, which by the way, what's up, Chuck? Um, how's it going? Hey Nathan. Hey. Um, Chuck has been a part of uh, Ruth's transforming communities, which uh, all of them have a number, and mm-hmm. Chuck, right. you're number eighteen. I'm in TC eighteen. TC eighteen. Think with about ninety. Four other beautiful that, souls from around the world. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. That mm-hmm. sounds super official. Like, uh, it feels like y'all might be like a special forces group or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does. No, never mind. That's my We're, military background it, talking. Um, it's, pretty, it's special. I it is special. That. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> um, but Chuck, why don't yeah. you why don't you kind of uh, launch into just help describe what yeah. that is and what it's done for you as we start to push into the work that that Ruth's doing. Yeah, it's been deeply meaningful for me to go away on uh, each community as nine retreats. Maybe the best way to introduce it is maybe my favorite book is Invitation to Retreat, which you have written. And so I love that because I am a retreat leader and I love it and I love it. Just anyway, so we go on nine retreats. So I'm in TC 18, TC 19 is already going, applications open for TC 20. That stands for Transforming Community. But just tell us, yeah, the history and the heart behind it. Last episode, we talked about how hard it is to be a pastor and, you know, they just can't win for losing because everyone's mad at them, or at least half the people are mad at them all the time. But just, yeah, tell us your heart for, for leaders uh, in, in Christian ministry and just how you serve them through this retreat-based ministry and, and transforming Bef- communities. And before we do that, so something piqued my interest because you yeah. said applications are being accepted. Can anybody join these things? Whether for leaders, you have to apply. You have to apply. But what are like the prerequisites? That'd be a great question for Ruth. To okay. Answer. Yeah. All right. Here we go. I think it's her ministry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Chuck is right that yeah. it is designed for pastors and leaders and influencers, and so it. But it's not just pastors. I mean, we always have business leaders, but people who really are in leadership because we have this theme running throughout that it's going to be about not just your own personal relationship with God, but it's also going to be your experience of these practices in an authentic community and also then the implications for leadership. And so um, it's, you know, we really do look at at whether someone is active in leadership uh, as part of their application process. Um, And, you know, we do ask people to describe what's happening in their life with God right now that causes them to feel like this would be good for them at this time. And that always tells us you know, just quite a bit about where people are at spiritually and whether this might be a good thing for them. We we do let people know that it is an immersion experience, like it's 27 months and there are assignments in between. And, you know, we do immerse ourselves. We will, you know, spend a whole retreat on one spiritual practice. And then we spend the whole quarter after that 
uh, practicing it and reading about it and reflecting on it and finding ways to implement it into our lives before coming into the next retreat. Mm-hmm. So it's an immersion experience in transformation for leaders. So, yeah, RE7 retreats in your community with you. I mean, just your heart for leaders. You are a leader. And by the way, I commend you. You, you are a very good leader. Yeah, that's um, clear. We've only been, I've only talked to you for yeah. like forty minutes now, and it's yeah. pretty clear. So, I'm, so yeah, I'm following along. No, no regrets. You are a leader, but you have a heart for leaders, a yeah. leader of mm-hmm. leaders. Yeah. So, d- yeah, describe for us just a heart for yeah. leaders and the way you want to care for them in your transforming mm-hmm. communities ministry. Well, obviously, it goes back to my own life in a pastor's home, um, and I have brothers who are pastors, and um, I just have you know many people that I love. Uh, including myself <laughs> that are that are in you know full-time vocational christian ministry yeah. and probably it was when i was on staff at a large and very successful church that i began to recognize that you could be very externally successful but be dying on the inside and living a pace of life that isn't good for you um always putting your best foot forward so there's no safe place to pay attention to the rough places the places that uh have growing edges the places that need healing and recovery and things like that and so um, I was very, very in touch with the fact that we can make it all look good on the outside, but there's still a need for our own ongoing intimacy with God and our own transformation um, in the broken places of our own life. And then, and then I also had a bird's eye view to seeing how our transformation or our lack of transformation, our deformation actually reproduces itself. And that's a very sobering idea about life in leadership is that um, whatever is broken or deformed or dysfunctional in our own life can actually find its way out to all the edges. No matter how much we try to hide it, our own lack of growth and transformation will impact the communities that we're a part of. And so it occurred to me that perhaps the best thing any of us could bring to leadership is our own transforming self. Because from a systems point of view, if a leader is transforming, then the the whole community or organization will be called towards transformation because they'll have to adjust to the transforming presence of this person, you know, among them. And by the same token, whatever's broken and dysfunctional will also find its way out to all the edges. And to me, that was really, really motivating around my own ongoing journey of transformation, but also inviting other leaders into a journey of transformation so that they also are bringing their transforming selves to their life in leadership and in ministry. And so in the beginning, we started the transforming community experience just because some of us as leaders wanted to experience this in our own lives. And then eventually, as we began to really see the benefits of having a community outside the place of our vocation, like I encourage people to do two things at once. You want to give all that you've got to your community that you're a part of and, you know, be there and be fully there. But at the same time, I think it's a really important practice for leaders to have someplace outside of their vocational ministry environment where they can let go of their leadership persona and just be a soul in God's Mm, presence. And so we encourage people to take their leadership hats off for the first night and day of our retreats, and we remind them to do that, to take off their leadership hat and just be a soul in God's presence for the first night and day of each retreat. And then in the evening of the second day, we turn our attentions towards experiencing these things in community. And then on the final morning, we turn the corner again and talk about leadership implications. And so it's come from a very, very personal place inside me, um, the place of my own need, the place of what I've seen in my own life and leadership and what I feel could be helpful. And so the safe place, uh, I feel that people 
change incrementally over time with others in the context of the spiritual practices that open us to God. And so that's what we do. That's what the transforming community is all about. It's by, um, you know, journeying together with others um, through practices that open us to God so that we can experience transformation. But there's a certain kind of safety that we need as well to open up some of these um, places that need God's touch. And so we are very high on anonymity and confidentiality. We have a covenant around our experience together. So everyone in the community is a pastor or a leader, but we've um, made a covenant with each other about many things, including confidentiality and anonymity, so that we can know that we have this place that's safe to grow Mm, and private. So you've done 18 of these, and 19 just started, I believe. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, um, and and what what does that span? Like a couple of decades? Yes. Um, yes. We founded, we're coming up on our 22nd year. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What yeah. would you, looking back on the last 22 years, um, what would you say are some of the primary, uh, what what's some of the primary fruit that you've seen be born out of these these transforming communities? Like how does, if somebody enters into A and they leave at B, from these communities, like, well, what have you seen consistently? What patterns over the mm-hmm. last couple of decades? Yeah. Well, there's a, thank you for the question. I really do appreciate it. Um, and there's a few things. I want to start by saying uh, the ability to actually stay in it. So we've had many, many pastors say to us, we would not be in ministry today if it wasn't for the transforming community experience. And in fact, many of them would say that they were on the verge of leaving the ministry. And if it wasn't for the transforming center, they would have left the ministry. I've had one of our pastors says that the Transforming Center was the last knot on the end of my rope. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so there is that. And, you know, that means a great deal. I mean, if you're if you're someone who cares about the church and cares about leadership, to know that the ministry that you're involved in has actually kept them able to stay faithful within that calling, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful affirmation. And I've had some people talk about the fact that it's almost like taking out an insurance policy on your pastor, you know, that we take out an insurance policy on our buses and on our cars and on our buildings. But what's the insurance policy on the pastor? You know, like, how do we ensure the the life and the well-being of our pastor? And so I like to see the transforming community as being partly about that, partly ensuring the long-term sustainability and um, intimacy with God that sustains us for the long haul. Um, some other things that are that are definitely parts of what we hear. I remember one pastor at, at our and I'm you know our, at our final sharing time and Chuck, I'm really sad that you're going to miss ours because that's the time when the group shares really intimately about what the transforming community has meant to them. And one pastor shared with us in his final retreat that he came in convinced that he was going to retire from the pastorate, but he was in his 50s. So he was too young, really, to be retiring, but it was because things had gotten so hard. And he said, and what I have learned from being in the transforming community is that I'm not supposed to retire from being a pastor. I'm supposed to retire from the way I've been doing my pastorate. Mm, that's good. And now I'm going to start to order my pastoral life around my sacred rhythms that I've mm. learned um, in this community. That's um, encouraging. Yeah, it's really encouraging. Another outcome that we hear people speak of a lot is this aspect of discernment, that they have learned how to rely not so much on secular leadership models, but have now um, really become more discerning in their leadership life and have learned how to lead others in a discernment process. And so um, I know one pastor who said that 
uh, he was the first pastor that invited his elders. His his elders said that one of the changes they saw in him was that he was the first pastor that invited them into discernment, which just meant the world to them to be invited into a real discernment process. So that was a major outcome for this particular pastor. Uh, another outcome that people will name is that their preaching changes. It's more vulnerable. It is more centered around desire than um, than just intellectual assent and that sort of thing. So they start to preach differently from their hearts and from their own longing and desire and from their own humanity. And so that's really beautiful. Um, many, many leadership groups will observe in their pastors who have been through a transforming community experience that some of the false self patterns that were observable before, like someone being defensive or someone being a little bit of a bully or someone having an ego issue or something like that, that they actually see some of these false self pattern changing in front of their eyes. Um, and they find pastors will say that they're leading out of a more authentic place than they than they had been before. So I would say long-term sustainability, um, the ability and increasing capacity to discern and do the will of God, not just personally, but to also lead that in the leadership groups that that you're a part of. And then um, a pattern of living where you discern what God is calling you to do missionally in the world, um, how your life and how your congregation's life is for the sake of others, but discerning what is uniquely yours to do versus burning yourself out by trying to do everything and trusting that there are other parts of the body of Christ that will be handling some of these other things, but we know what God is calling us to do. And so um, pastors emerge with sacred rhythms, but also with a greater sense of what God is calling them uniquely to do so that they can let some of the other things go and actually um, lead in a sustainable lifestyle. So some, those are some of the things that we hear about. Sounds yeah. like love, mm -hmm. joy, peace, patience. Yeah. <laughs> and I will also say, and this is odd, but we are, we are not an, a marriage encounter experience. Um, so we're not working overtly on marriages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we hear over and over again, though, is that people's marriages and their family lives change for the better as someone is leading from a more authentic place. And that means a lot to us, too. So we welcome couples, but typically we actually would encourage each of them to have their own community experience and maybe their spouse is in a different community so that they, they're only focused on their own relationship with God as they come. It's not a marriage encounter thing, but it does change yeah. marriages. Yeah, individual souls well, yeah. before God. Yeah. So. And the way I like to describe it, I don't put words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying in large part is, I mean, people that are being transformed just have a new, fresh way of being. So it's not just one thing they're doing differently. I mean, it's infusing and flavoring everything they're doing with this new way of being. So hopefully— more spirit-led, yeah. Well, having fun of me and love it. Your book, Embracing, one of my favorite words, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest. I know the backstory. I've heard you tell it because you really wanted to write a book on sabbaticals, and I love sabbatical coaching as well. And, you know, maybe a publisher said, well, you need to also include Sabbath. You know, we got to sell some more books. Anyway, but uh, but you said you were glad for that. And so you gave you a fresh look uh, at just the Sabbath in, in relation to, and, and even the, the uh, well, now I'm blanking out. Yeah, from Sabbath to sabbatical and back again is, is hugely important. So just tell, tell that story and tell why the fresh look at Sabbath, even though it had been a, a long-term practice for you, is, yeah, hit you in this season as well. And if that was a false story, you can just correct what I heard, what I heard you say in the past. <laughs> Chuck, yeah. that's not what... <laughs> 
Well, you know, you can tell what a what an author really cares about because usually their themes will show up, yeah, you know, over and over place. again. Yep. And so I can't help but putting Sabbath, some element of Sabbath in almost every book I write. Um, and I did, yes, want to write a book on sabbatical because I was given a couple of sabbaticals and found them to be an, an extraordinary gift. Um, and yet that might have been a limited audience. You're right. Um, and publishers do pay attention to things like that. Um, and so they asked if I would include Sabbath with the topic of sabbatical. And I am happy that I did that because I realize now that um, a person can enter into Sabbath even more fruitfully and or sab- sab- sabbatical, excuse me, more fruitfully and effectively if they have been practicing Sabbath and understand the dynamics of Sabbath keeping in their life, the dynamic of ceasing, ceasing and resting and delighting and surrendering and, you know, entering into to God's good gifts. And I think it's more challenging to enter into a sabbatical if you don't have some experience yeah. with Sabbath. No, I, I was just going to say it. I mean, it feels a lot like whiplash, right? If you've never if you've never slowed down at all or incorporated that rhythm and then all of a sudden you just like just stop, stop. then it can be mm-hmm. super disorienting for people. Ex- and exactly. Is, and is for a lot of people. Yeah. Exactly. And really, all the dynamics and principles of Sabbath keeping carry over into sabbatical, only mm-hmm. they are expanded. Right. And so it's just the most the, the most wonderful preparation for sabbatical is to have been practicing Sabbath. And then you also have a sense of what a gift it is and how to plan for it and, and things like that. So and, and I will say also that it gave me the opportunity to expand some themes that I really wanted to address. And one of those was Sabbath as a communal discipline. So I actually include chapter nine, which is directed straightly straight to leaders about leading Sabbath communities and identifying leading a Sabbath practice as being part of our leadership as pastors is to lead communities into a Sabbath practice and to make sure that the way that we're doing our life together in community actually makes Sabbath possible for everyone. And so I drive a really big stake in the ground around Sabbath leadership in this book. Um, and then another thread that I was able to pull out a little bit more was the fact that Sabbath was given to an oppressed peoples. And so Sabbath is not about privilege. It's actually about saying no to any kind of bondage that we're in. And um, it's it's in that way, not just a soft discipline that has to do with the softer practices of resting and being nurtured and things like that. But it's also a practice that has a certain kind of resistance in it. Because we're saying, I'm not owned by anyone but God. God is the one who orders my life. And God created me and God built Sabbath into the human experience. And when I practice Sabbath, I'm actually saying to the culture and everybody else, you don't own me. My ultimate allegiance is to God. And it's countercultural in that way and very, very powerful in that way. It's, it's, a, it's a way of actually renewing my allegiance to God above all. Um, in the Sabbath. And so it's it's a powerful discipline in so many ways. Yeah, thanks for that. I know for yeah many years I, I would hear it and I was, this is about my own heart, like, well, I know I should, but I'm, you know, I didn't for lots of reasons. Um, and then I, as I talk to leaders now, like, yeah, I probably should, but, but, I'm, but I'm not. And a lot of times it's because it doesn't sound like good news. You know, it sounds like just eating iceberg lettuce, you know. Uh, or people a, are so, steak. Or, or people are so dialed into yeah. the the frenetic pace of what they're doing. I mean, I've, I'm thinking of about a, a, a bunch of marketplace leaders who are like, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but I just can't." Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is just it's evidence. It's like, okay, you are being owned. Yeah. Um, by your, you know, 
practice. Yeah. yeah, your job. Got to that. Yeah, I read a quote the other day. If you're not Sabbathing, you better find out what you're enslaved to. So, because <laughs> you can't lay it down. But I, I bring that up to say, man, let, let's let's elevate. Because uh, I know you're passionate about it. You have a chapter called the Wake Up Call, and you talk about uh, from Isaiah 58. Uh, 20 years into it, you say, I can say I'm a passionate lover of the Sabbath who would not be standing in the middle of my life and calling today if it weren't for this essential rhythm. Those are big statements, and and I know you're not prone to hyperbole, but why is Sabbath so beautiful and sustaining, and why would all this beautiful work through the Transforming Center may not be happening but for uh, God holding you safe in, in this practice? Yeah. Well, the, the the Jews have a saying that it's not so much that the Jews have kept the Sabbath, it's that the Sabbath has kept them. And that really resonates with me because I feel like the Sabbath has kept me and um, kept me right here doing what God is calling me to do. And I just think we can't underestimate the fact that God is the one who created us and God did not create us to go 24-7. God did not create us to go 24-7. God knows us and God created us after God's image and God rested on the seventh. And so we are actually participating in God's very nature when we rest on the seventh day and we are living in ways that are congruent with what our creator knows about us. So in some ways, it's also a practice of submission, you know, submitting to the one who knows me the best. Um, And it's not an easy practice. I think it's probably the most countercultural one, actually. And of course, that dynamic has only grown. It used to be that Sundays, even in our culture, were a little bit special. Some stores would close at least, and we wouldn't do sports on Sundays and things like that. But now everything has rushed into the Sabbath. And so now it truly is countercultural to practice Sabbath. And um, and I think that's just as it should be. Um, I also believe that there's something about the Sabbath practice that builds trust in us um, that really confronts the question of who are we trusting? Who am I trusting for the outcomes of my life? Am I trusting myself and my ability to keep working hard um, and my ability to do things on my own terms? Or am I trusting God for my survival and my safety and my security? And on the on the Sabbath, I'm I'm turning towards God again and saying, no, God, I trust you for the outcomes of my life. And I trust that whatever I've accomplished in six days is enough and that you're the God of the five loaves and the two fishes, and you can make those six days and the work I've done on those six days enough while I do what you're telling me to do. So built into the Sabbath practice is this practice of trust, trusting God one day a week to continue God's work, even when I'm doing what God has called me to do. Um, I think there's also this element, too, of delighting and um seeing the Sabbath as being the gift of delight and delighting in the simpler gifts of our lives that can't be bought with money, that can't be achieved through any more hard work and human striving. But I enjoy what I've been given, you know, my family and my home and uh, the sunshine and the blue sky and life in a body and all the things that um, that that make me receive the life that God's giving me and really delight in God's greatest gifts, which are the simpler ones. And gratitude is a very powerful energy for the spiritual life. And I find that when I have time to delight in God's good gifts to me, that gratitude wells up and becomes a really strong energy in my life. And then gratitude can turn to worship, you know. And so there's there's this very natural movement, I think, on the Sabbath that, you know, first we rest, then we have the energy to delight in something 
we feel our gratitude and gratitude turns to worship and it's over. a beautiful thing. Yep. It really, really does. It's yep. a beautiful progression it's awesome. in our lives. So I'm going to speak on behalf of probably, I would guess, the majority of our audience. Um, now I'm thinking about those moms and dads who have small children, um, which is me <laughs> and my wife, Margaret. And what, what would you, what, what do you tell those people? Um, who, where, I mean, they're listening to you talk and they're like, sunshine, delight, like rest, spilling <laughs> over into worship. That sounds amazing. Like when, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, when it's such a taxing season of life, um, re- regardless of whether you're in a busy culture or not, like small children are just exhausting. Um, what do you, what do you tell that person um, who's, trying to maybe incorporate Sabbath into their life for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're asking for a friend, but it's really you, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a friend. Oh, is that yeah. a caller? Oh, uh, I've got a caller, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, one of the delights of writing this book was that my own daughter, Charity, um, is in her 40s now with three young children. And um, she was with me as I was figuring Sabbath out in my life and in our life as a family. And she can really speak to that in some very, very intimate ways. Um, and then also she can speak from her own experience of seeing the value of Sabbath and wanting it desperately in her own family and what they've done and how they've done it. And so one of the things I'm proudest about in this book is that we have a whole chapter on different seasons of life and how do we practice Sabbath in the different seasons? How can we make it meaningful and what God intends in any season of our lives? And so she wrote a very significant piece in this book about her own experience with young children very, very practically. And um, she talks very eloquently about how their whole family plans it together. Um, and that, of course, when you have young children, you're going to have to think about Sabbath and how it would be delightful for everyone. And I think this is one of the things I've wanted to clarify in this book, that Sabbath is not the same thing as solitude. Sabbath is a communal practice. It is meant to be practiced with the people that you share life with. And so if you have a family, then your Sabbath practice is going to be with your family and hopefully with your church over time. If you have a Sabbath leader pastoring your church, I'm hoping that you do. They're also, you know, ordering the church's life around Sabbath practice as well. But she has really wonderful ideas about reframing the Sabbath and, um, that the effort itself. And of course, the, the, the verse in Hebrews talks about that we're supposed to make every effort that the effort within the family is actually extremely worthwhile. And and I like to say there is no such thing as a perfect Sabbath, so don't ever think that there is one. Hebrews talks about the effort, that the very effort to enter into rest is actually God-honoring, and it's um, part of our discipleship. It's part of our obedience. But when the children are really young and they don't even have a voice, at the very, very least, you plan time to delight in them. They are God's good gift to you. And just if you get your work done, that means that you're more able to be delighted by your children and to pick those things which delight you together, whatever level of play, whatever things your family would enjoy together. Um, I think it can also uh, be a day when if you know you're not working at all, that when the very young children take naps, you're going to take a nap. You're not going to be working and trying to wash the kitchen floor and finish up the laundry. You're not working on the Sabbath, which means that even if all you get is two or three hours because it's nap time, that you get to pick something that would delight you during that time because you're not working. And I think that that's really, really important. And then as the kids get older, um, 
you know, then you can really plan with them. And Charity gives some really, really great examples for paying attention to each individual personality and what's restful and delightful for them and working together to plan the day so that there's something in it that's delightful and restful for everybody. Spouses can um, also help each other out by maybe switching off just a little bit so that each spouse gets a nap. Um, That could be really, really important. I also have suggested that maybe couples either start their Sabbath or end their Sabbath with a date night so that there is some time um, for the couple to renew their own life and connection together. There's nothing wrong at all with, um, you know, starting or ending the Sabbath day with a date night and making sure that you rekindle, you know, the love between the two of you as well. Um, So there's all sorts of creative ways, you know, to make this something that the whole family can benefit together. And so, you know, I started Sabbath late in my own life because I resisted it for so long. So I didn't start Sabbath keeping until my kids were teenagers. And so I chose, I and my husband, we chose not to foist it on our daughters, but instead to practice it winsomely within our home. And then we found, and Charity speaks to this very eloquently, that that um, the fact that we didn't foist it on them, but actually just practiced it in a in a winsome way, yeah. actually is what drew her yeah, in and has caused her to want to establish it as a practice in her own family. That's good. That's good. Well, to our audience, I highly commend this book. It's beautiful, even if it's just for the middle poem that you wrote called "On Time." Mm-hmm. I reread it mm-hmm. uh, today. It just makes me slow down and breathe. So, mm-hmm. thank yeah. you for uh, writing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of resonance in, in your audience with this book. Why, why do you think it's resonating? I think the pace of life in our culture has picked up profoundly. You know, when computers were coming to the fore, there was this promise that we would have four-day work weeks. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. When, yeah, the computers <laughs> totally were going to enable that. us to have four-day work yeah. weeks. Well, whoever gets a four-day work week, now we have seven-day work weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. Because our work is always with us in and through our computers, which are now on our phones as well. And so I think the pace of life, the stress of life, the complexity of life has been ratcheted up so profoundly that people are more desperate than they've ever been for a way of life that works and for real rest and a real unplugging and not just rest for the body, but rest for the mind because of the continual onslaught of stimulation and connectivity and news and information that I think rest for the mind and rest for the soul is what's even more needed right now. And so um, I have a whole chapter in there on technology because I think we need to think about unplugging from technology as a part of our Sabbath rest because our technology is what keeps us so riled up and so stimulated and so connected to our work. So to have a day when we know that we can turn it all off and rest ourselves in God, I think the need now is very, very great because of the pace of life in our culture, which is very different. I know that probably every generation whines and complains yeah. and says, well, you know, this one so much harder now than it was yeah, then. Yeah, right, right. There is something about what's happening in our oh, culture right now in the pace of it that makes the Sabbath a particularly wonderful discipline yeah. to consider. And I do suggest entering into it on the basis of desire and longing, desperation even, if that's what you're feeling, a desperate longing for a way of life that works and to enter into it from longing, not from oughts or shoulds or any mm-hmm. sort of legalism. Mm-hmm. I kicked it to the curb for a long time because we did practice it legalistically in my family. But then once I saw the delight of it, and then once I saw how tired mm-hmm. I was from not having it, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden my longing led me in. And that's why I'm as committed to it as I am now. Yeah. Now it's just, like I said, the best day of any week. That's awesome. So. Yeah. 
Um, we're, we're as we close out this episode, um, I'll leave you with one question, and that is in your experience, um, as the audience is kind of uh, hearing all of this from you, as somebody who's maybe uh, living in the simplicity on the other side of complexity, um, what do you think? What do you think God is inviting us into through these practices? Like if you could cast a vision for our audience to go, Hey, this is what's available to you that you're being invited into. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Well, transformation for sure. Because I think if we're honest, most of us are aware of places in our own lives where we feel stuck or broken or in need of healing or in need of uh, something that's, that works better than what we've been trying. And I think as a post-therapeutic culture, we are really aware of our needs, you know, to transform and to actually change. So that is part of what God's inviting us to is actual change. Um, and maybe I could characterize that change by being about surrender and abandonment to God, moving beyond our false self patterns where we're trying to, to, you know, secure our safety and security and survival and approval and affection and power and control. You know, the false self is trying to achieve those things on its own terms whereas the spiritual life leads us to a greater level of abandonment and dependency upon God. So it's not all, all, all on us anymore. And we actually can live our lives really abandoned to God and to the goodness of God and to God's will. And um, I think that there's something about that also that is very winsome. I think we're being invited to greater levels of deeper levels of surrender and abandonment to God. And when we start living our lives that way, life is not so weighty anymore and leadership is not so weighty. Because we're, you know, we're living more in the flow of what God's doing versus trying to force our own will and our own agenda on the world. But, but that is second half of life stuff. That's, that's Christian maturity um, on the other side of having tried to impose our will for too long, you know. So some of us are going to have to hit up against a wall before we are willing to let go of some of our normal ways of being in the world. But on the other side, yeah. there is really good stuff on the other side of that, if we can do our letting go. Yeah, that's awesome. And by, by some of us, I think you meant all of us. We'll have to hit <laughs> <Yes>. that wall. <laughs> <laughs> there are some of us who are more willful than others, and I will say, and leader types are more willful yeah, than yeah, other yeah. types. Some of us and have so, to slam into it with our, exactly. with our head. Yeah. 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 Chuck, what's your Chuck, last word, man? Grateful for your time and investment to just have this conversation and just a prayer welling up my heart. Your journey started with the more capital and one of M one of my favorite words. So I'll just be praying for you just for even more because, mm. you know, we're just scratching the surface on how great, big and loving our God is. And so I'll pray that, yeah, that you'll just keep experiencing that Ephesians three more and more and more yeah. of that crazy love that he has for you. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you all. And God bless your work and your efforts as well. Thank yeah. you, Ruth. We appreciate Thanks. your time. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much for being with us today on the Pace and Practice podcast. If anything in this podcast today encouraged you, repeat your curiosity. Share with your friends. Give us a rating. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And now as we depart, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.